I mean, I think so. I, I think Atlanta has proven itself to be a pretty good team this postseason. Um, I, I had them beating the Knicks, but I don't think anyone thought they would beat them quite as handedly as they did. Um, we've seen road teams come out and, you know, punch better teams in the mouth in game one before. We saw it with Memphis and Utah in the first round. So I don't think game one was too much of a shocker. And, you know, to see the Sixers bounce back like they have been is I think pretty expected as well. I think everyone knew they were still the better team after game one. So I, I think it's pretty, pretty close to what I would have expected so far. Yeah. Andul didn't know um, that for some reason, because we talked about after, after game one, they had the Hawks as the favorites in the series. So I put $5, which for me is a lot of money on the Sixers. Cause I thought that was horrible. So I'm feeling good about that, but I agree that most people that you would hear from thought the Sixers would still win the series. Yeah, I have to ask, like, people seem to give a lot of credence to what the betting lines are doing. And I want to know, why is that? Is that just because people think people in Vegas actually know things or are they just capitalizing on people like Dan? How does it work? And like when like a line looks wonky, people it seems like people think like, hmm, that's an interesting line. And like think that maybe Vegas knows more than we do what what is what's going on I mean I like gambling I think that it's always a combination of so this is why I know what's going on basically is is, is why I said that um and that's why I care what the lines are um mm-hmm. I think that for you know how the lines are made it's kind of a combination of um you know what they think will happen and also what people are betting so you know there was one game I remember. This is just a random example, but earlier this earlier this earlier this year, the um, Lakers had uh, LeBron James and Anthony Davis both out, and I think it was pretty quick after LeBron's uh, long-term injury. And um, the Cavs were underdogs in the game, and by the end of the day, they were favorites. Like by the time the game started, and the Lakers actually ended up winning. But the line moved throughout the day because everyone was betting on the Cavs. And basically, right. the, the, the sites and the casinos <clears> want to make money. Um, and so if too many people are betting one team, could, they could lose money. And they want to be guaranteed to make money. So they're going to lower the line to try to get more people to bet the other team. Sure. Um, and that's basically, that's basically what's going on. So it's kind of partly where they start out at, it, start out as, is you know, definitely takes into account some information. And they have some, you know, basketball knowers 
um, you know, picking these lines, but as they adjust, that's kind of just the consensus of what everyone is betting on the initial line throughout the day. Yeah. Um, game three, the Sixers and Atlanta, this series moved to Atlanta. Uh, the Sixers ended up winning 127 to 111. Um, we're going to break down the game overall, but Emily, what were your sort of overall thoughts about game three? Personally, I was watching it. I never thought that this game was like in, in question. Like I, I, from very early, I felt like, oh, the Sixers are going to win this game. I just thought that they, you know, were really well positioned, even when the score was a bit closer. What did you think, Emily? Um, yeah, I was never unsure that the Sixers would win, even if the Hawks went on many runs. Um, it just felt like we had it in hand. I feel like the Hawks kind of knew that we had it in hand. Like Nate McMillan was like, keep your heads up boys. Like in the, in the huddle, like he was like, <laughs> he's like, you guys are downtrodden. Like, and when you can do that to a team, I feel like that's, that's a win for the Sixers. Um, it was a super physical game. I thought like even outside of, um, you know, the Joel stuff, just like a lot of like people hitting the ground and a lot of, a lot of physical play. So normally I think it's stupid when they do the two games in between, um, the playoffs when they don't travel I'm like just do one then and then give them two for travel but I'm kind of glad they had the two after game three because I thought it was really physical and the guys could uh use some time yeah it's a little strange there are two games in between the two games in Atlanta but only or two days in between the two games in Atlanta but only one in between uh games four and five um what about you Chris uh from from game three did anything particular stand out to you as to like why the game ended up uh, where it did? Um, yeah, I mean, like Emily said, I think this it was pretty much in hand from the beginning. I think Philly really turned it on defensively in a way we hadn't seen yet. This was a really strong showing from Joel on both sides of the ball. I mean, he, you know, he's been doing crazy things on offense all postseason and, and on defense too, but I think game three was an especially big night from him on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, Ben and Thibault, though Brandon Matisse got into some foul trouble, both did their things. There were some really impressive flashes just from the defense throughout the game. I, I think Atlanta is really struggling to figure out Philadelphia's defense now that Doc has made the pretty obvious adjustments that were necessary after game one. You know, Ben on Trey Young has obviously made all the difference in the world. And just offensively, Atlanta really doesn't have an answer for this team. I think some people going in thought maybe Clint Capella was one of the few guys who could give Joel some trouble that hasn't really been the case. Um, this wasn't Joel's best game as a scorer, but he still had 27 on 14 shots, eight assists, had some really great like, cross-court passes and reads out of doubles. You know, he's just doing doing everything at this point. He's been super impressive, maybe like the best player in the playoffs so far or, or up there. So it definitely seems like this series is moving pretty strongly in Philadelphia's favor. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Joel, I thought he was uh, just amazing and didn't force anything. I thought this whole playoff run so far, he really hasn't forced it. And when they're double and triple teaming him, he's either finding a way to get fouled or he's finding an open teammate. But his defense was great. He was falling so much. I, I, and he was holding his knee and this is just sort of what we're going to have to live with in this playoff run. Dan, what did you think about Joel against Atlanta uh, on Friday night? Um, and, uh, yeah, what, what do you think about the holding the knee and the falling and the sort of the emotional experience of watching him? 
Yeah, I mean, for the for the last part of it, I feel like it's basically something we're going to have to get used to. Um, and I think yeah. we have gotten used to it a bit in the past. Like, I feel like in seasons past, there have always been games where it's like, because I remember at first, and I know we're, we're almost adjusted to it now because he's talked a lot about how he kind of falls on purpose to take weight off of his, his knees and his, and his legs. But when he first started and it was, if you remember even back to like his first two seasons coming off of, you know, the, the, the foot injury, every time he fell, everyone was like gasping and crying and oh, it's just yeah. kind of something you've gotten used to. Joel's going to fall and they want him to fall. Um, so I, I try to just always assume the best unless he's like on the ground rolling around basically. Um, but yeah, he's, he's been great. I mean, he's, he looks like a different player and I, I, we talked about it a lot before um, uh, just throughout the season, but I think a lot of people will kind of look to the obvious difference of, you know, the Sixers have put more shooting around him and I think that helps, but Joel was also just clearly a better player than he has been like ever. Um, You know, the shooting helps, but last year was an especially weird year where we didn't have shooting. And even before that, you know, we might not have had quite the shooting we have, but Joel was never close to this. You know, Joel was great. Joel was, you know, a top at his at his best, like a top eight player. Um, and he's really making the case to be a top one player right now. Yeah. Um, he's been unbelievable. He's done literally everything well. Um, and yeah, I, it's, it's awesome. I mean, what, what what else can you say about the guy other than he's he's done everything you could want him to do? It's, it's a lot of fun to watch. And it's, you know, the on top of like the Sixers have always been my team and I root for the Sixers because I was raised to root for the Sixers and I love the Sixers. It's like an added bonus to have like a guy who, even if he weren't on my team, maybe he would drive me crazy because he, you know, of the celebrations and all of that. Um, and he'd be a guy you kind of like love to hate on another team, but I just love his game. And it's, it's so much fun to watch him just take the next step and sustain the next step through the playoffs, which I think yeah. is, a, a, it, not a given ever and a big deal um and he's just been basically perfect i mean he's been incredible in these playoffs um moving to ben uh simmons had a sort of uh tail of two half sort of game his defense i thought was very good uh throughout i just think that he plays very much within himself and and he's been great on that end uh all year uh the first half he was for me noticeably passive and the big example that people are coming to is when he was underneath the rim in the air uh, with like two seconds left on the clock and he passed it out. Um, Doc Rivers had a quote about, uh, he said that they told Simmons at halftime that he was being way too passive. Quote, we told him that we were going to come out and feature him in the post and to be aggressive. Uh, that's from Kyle Newbeck. Uh, they did a great job of that and Ben played great, uh, especially in the third quarter to lengthen the lead. Um, Chris, when you see this stuff with Ben, does it feel to you like an ability thing? Like he's not so skilled from a scoring standpoint, or do you see it as an aggression and sort of decision-making thing? Uh, or is it some of both uh, when you look at a game like he had uh, on Friday? Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to aggression. Obviously he's not the most like naturally talented scorer. He doesn't have the best touch necessarily, but he's been pretty consistently able to get to the rim and to score when he has wanted to during his career. I think this season has been especially tough for him 
just like, you know, trying to be aggressive as consistently as possible. You mentioned that play where he's under the basket in the first half. Um, yeah, I mean, when, when he's aggressive, that that really helps the Sixers. It really helps him. I think everyone has kind of accepted that as the best version of Ben at this point. I, I think he's been really good this postseason in general. I think he's gotten a lot of unfair criticism, frankly. But, you know, the third quarter especially was probably the best we've seen him in a while. And I, I think that that's the Ben Simmons the Sixers should hopefully get more of as the postseason goes on. Yeah, Emily, uh, do you agree uh, with that kind of stuff? And what did you think of the game from Ben? Yeah, I agree with the stuff um, that everyone's saying. It is just, I just agree with the stuff, you know, it's nice. I agree with the stuff. I agree with the stuff. Um, It is, goes back to like the very frustrating thing about Ben and his consistency. It's like, if all it takes is for Doc to tell Ben at half, like, hey, you need to be more aggressive, like, why can't he just do it all the time? Like, why is his like default, this like passive play? Um, That is the only frustrating thing because we've seen time and time again that when he plays aggressively and, you know, just like drives instead of looks to pass out, like good things tend to happen. So I feel like I've said this a million times, like hopefully this shows him like, this is how we want you to play. Like, can we do it please? And We'll see what happens. Um, but I love when Ben plays like this. It's that like that. It's so fun to watch him play like that. Um, it can really like change the momentum of a game. I mean, I it did in the third quarter. It was it was a close game at the half, and then Ben came out like a man on a mission, and we were up by like 15 or so, you know, like it can change momentum. And I think we just need more of that, especially as we get further and further into these playoffs. I agree. I think that you know the Sixers have enough players and they have a superstar and they have enough shooters and all that kind of stuff to a lot of times survive a sort of mass offensive output from Ben. But you're right. As we go further and further, they're going to need as much from everywhere. Um, And if you look at Atlanta, like they don't have anybody to physically match him. Uh, So, you know, I think that he's just sort of this, this, he is who he is and, and it's going to come and go, but um, you saw the other night how important it is, especially when they were guarding Joel like they were, which was double teams pretty much right away. Uh, Dan, what did you think about that? Uh, Ben's performance and like the way that Joel handled a sort of different look from Atlanta with even more double teams and, and multiple coverages. Yeah, I mean, so starting with the Ben stuff, I mean, I've said before, I'm mostly abstaining from Ben talk. Um Mostly because I'm just, I think it's kind of just the whole discourse is frustrating and yeah. is boiled down to, you know, people debating, like, you know, even his, his supporters are like basically making the case he's a plus player, which to me is ridiculous because he obviously is. Um, and like to give into like the, the trolls are going to say he's not. And it's like, well, who really cares what they say? Um, but, you know, I, I have tried not to, talk too much about it and i fail constantly but i I try not to um i thought ben had a good game to be honest and not just like he was a plus player like i thought ben was good um and i i think that you know ben was good for ben and the um i think you know the point that that you guys didn't say directly but but that i you know kind of took away from your comments and agree with is that ben 
doesn't need to, it's not like, you know, Oh, Ben isn't scoring because he's focusing on defense, right? Like Ben can do more than one thing at a time. Ben can play offense and defense. And we know the defense is going to be there. And when Ben is going to be more aggressive, he's going to be better offensively. And those are the games we point to when we look at Ben's best games. And he only had 18 points. He only had seven assists, right? Those aren't like eye popping numbers, but I thought he was really solid, right? Like I, I think, you know, especially in that third quarter, like you, like you guys said, Ben was, Ben was really good. Um, and that's what, that's the kind of game you're looking for. 18, 18 and seven from Ben and, and, and good defense. He can do that. Um, yeah. what, what was the MB part of the question? I already forget. Oh, who gives a shit? I was right, something cool. about him handling double teams and. Oh yes, yes, yes. No, I mean, he's, I think that, I don't know if it's more, if he's just, you know, confident in his teammates or what, but he's been very willing to pass out. He's making good reads and, you know, I think that there was a lot of talk earlier about like earlier, earlier, like maybe beginning of this season, even end of last season that, you know, Joel is, is better than he had been passing out of double teams and, and making the right read. Um, it was probably true that he was better. I still didn't think he was very good at it. And he still has room to grow as a passer, just in terms of like placing passes in the right spot. Um, but there's, I mean, to be fair, there's a lot of superstars who aren't great passers. Um, and Joel certainly qualifies as a, as a superstar who's not a great passer. But, mm-hmm. I mean, he's done nothing but get better out of out of these reads when they're sending doubles and triples. And he's talked about it. I mean, he talked about it a lot with the um, Ramona interview where he talked about, um, you know, he's always kind of game plan for a one-on-one matchup against the best centers. And he's looking at it now more like every team we play are going to send two or three guys. What do I do from there? And it's clear, you know, he's improving there. And I think that's the biggest difference with the team, right? Because my concern coming into the playoffs, um, and I don't mean concern in terms of like unover, un, you know, unable to overcome it, just like what will we see it done was like double teams are going to be more frequent. Um, and in the Hawks series, they really haven't, except for in game three. Um, Joel's usage rating, I think, was like over 49% in game two. But uh, you know, certainly game three, we saw the doubles and Joel responded with eight assists. So I think that, you know, making those reads is absolutely something he's getting better at. And, and it's to the point where, and I'm saying this like fingers crossed, but it's to the point where I hope that's not a, a way to guarantee you're going to beat the Sixers where it's just take the ball out of his hands and he'll either make a mistake or, you know, the Sixers get a shot that isn't the look they wanted. I don't think yeah. that's really the case. They have good shooters around and he's making the right read. So it's, it's been, a you know, I said it before, but he's basically done everything you want him to do to start the playoffs. And it's been a lot of fun. You know, part of Joel's down year last year was uh, obviously he was down in, in, in lots of ways, but he, he was so clear that he didn't trust his teammates to make open shots. And like, you know, the Horford and Richardson, like he didn't, he wasn't compelled to make the right pass because he wasn't, convinced that the right thing would happen after that pass so uh he definitely trusts his teammates at this point Tobias has been so good I just want to highlight how like consistent and impressive Tobias has been uh Stat Muse tweeted like his game logs basically since the playoff started he has scored below 20 points only once he has uh shot under 52 percent from the field only once um he's just been excellent it's been so great to watch him uh play well and have such a great year and continue it in the playoffs, which he hadn't done uh, in Philadelphia yet. Um, George Hill is also from Kyle. 
George Hill and Tobias Harris coming into his own. I would list him now as one of my favorite teammates ever. Just a great guy to be around. He's a big leader for us, and we're going to continue to lean on him. Um, Chris, when you look at the season from Tobias and the way he's been able to perform in the playoffs, like, is there something that you attribute that most to? Is it is it the roster changes, you know, to make the Sixers a bit of a smaller team and 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 let him play the four a little bit more? Is it internal improvement or uh, you know, what what would you attribute this sort of year from Tobias to? And do you think he can carry it through the rest of the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, I think sort of similarly to Joel, it's a combination of factors. I definitely think the roster fit is better. He's not having to play next to Al Horford anymore. He's in a much more natural position as a scorer. Doc has obviously done a very good job with him in the past as well of kind of maximizing his his skill set and this season he's gotten Tobias to kind of buy into a more condensed role where he's not trying to freelance as much. He's making quicker decisions. He's doing, you know, less over dribbling. He, he's really just kind of coming to his own offensively. I, I do think a lot of that too is just personal improvement, kind of like Joel. He's just gotten a lot better around the edges. Um, and, and, but yeah, I, I think there's a lot that goes into it in, as you mentioned, it's been a really impressive postseason from him. I think he's kind of gotten lost in the shadow of, of Joel, but, you know, he's been really good. Yeah. Dan, uh, famously, Tobias, still waiting on an apology from you, but what do you think about the way he's been able to continue his play in the, uh, in the postseason? Yeah, you've asked me to apologize to every player on the team at this point. Um, really? It's so fun. I love doing that. <laughs> no, I think it, I, I enjoy the bit. Um, yeah, yeah, I, it's kind of unbelievable that this is the same player as last season. Like Tobias has always looked like a guy who's a, a very talented scorer, but that doesn't mean he was doing it consistently or efficiently. Um, and this year has been, you know, to start the year, I was still pretty skeptical. And and you know, people who who listened to the pod back then will definitely remember me saying like you know, it's been 10 games, you know, it's been five games, 10 games. We've seen plenty of players have good stretches and, you know, I'm, I, I obviously hoped he would be, keep it up and he, he has, and I'm honestly shocked. I mean, he's ever since he came to Philly, he's been fine. He hasn't been, you know, high thirties of millions of dollars, good or $40 million good. Um, and, I, you know, I'm still always hesitant to, to you know, relitigate his contract and say that yeah, yeah. everyone who said that, you know, <clears throat> this was a bad contract was wrong or something like that, right? Like, I think there's absolutely something to be said that, like, he was like a borderline top 100 player last year making, you know, a near max contract. And that's a problem. You know, if, if you can't get a, a, a good performance from someone making that much money every year. And who's to say if this will continue? I certainly hope it will. And he's been really successful under Doc. But as far as these playoffs go and this season, right? Like this season, what he's done, sure, is worth that contract. And, you know, these playoffs, I've been really impressed. He's he's kept it up. And it's, yes, absolutely worth that contract. Now, will this continue into next season? I hope so. At this moment, I don't really care. It's not on my yeah. mind at all because he's bringing it in the playoffs when it matters most and the Sixers are contending this year. So, yeah. you know, when the Sixers have a chance to win and he's bringing that kind of production, I think it's, you know, it's, it's fantastic. And if you want me to apologize, 
I, I'll say I'm sorry <laughs> if it makes you happy. I think apologize uh, to me, not to you. I will never apologize to you for anything, <laughs> but I can apologize to Tobias if you'd like. I, I won't fully mean it. I think he was terrible last year, but I think he's been fantastic this year. And so if an apology will make you, Steve, feel better, I don't, I know Tobias doesn't care and isn't listening, but I'll t- apologize to Tobias just to make you feel better. So Tobias, really I'm sorry. That. that is the only thing making it into the podcast, buddy boy. Tobias, I'm sorry, is the whole podcast. Go ahead, cut um, the rest. That's perfect. Yep. Um, the uh, If anybody ever wanted to ruin me, I wrote on Liberty Ballers within one col- uh, column uh, in the offseason that the Sixers should amnesty Tobias. Uh, so I think that's a really good take of mine that people should go back to. Will, Emily, will you apologize? Uh, oh, of course. To you? To me, not to him. Don't make me mute you. I could do it. <laughs> um, uh, Emily, what's your comment on Tobias, uh, his play in the playoffs, and has it surprised you with how consistent he's been? Um, he's been playing really well in the playoffs. You guys have both said that. I don't really have more like stats or fun things to add to it besides that the consistency has been really nice. And I think that the playoff consistency doesn't surprise me that much because he was so consistent in the regular season. And in the past years, he hasn't been this consistent in the regular season. It was part of our annoyance with him. And so it would have been like really strange to have him have this huge drop off just in the playoffs. Um, And so I'm glad to see that he doesn't have some like weird playoff basketball god voodoo on him and that it's possible that he can play well in the playoffs um I was really scared for him though in that game when he like cracked his head on the camera or whatever happened I don't like head injuries they make me very nervous any like head or neck things especially because I think that cameraman should have just moved and not stayed there um but I was happy to see him stay in the game like he could have easily like gotten a concussion or like well and you remember game four against boston last year he hit his head on the floor oh, yeah. and was, it was bleeding super scary yeah. so like can and they stop? put him back yeah. in by the way oh my god oh yeah yep. that was when in. i think yeah i do remember oh we we did have a podcast then didn't we because we did and we could not believe that brett put him back in the we game. were like oh tobias <laughs> died and then he came Came back in the game. That's great. Um, we, we were like, Brett, I know you have senioritis at this point. You know you're out of here. But can we not put in somebody with like a brain hemorrhage? Yeah, seriously. Um, but yeah, I'm happy for Tobias. And like Dan said, like, did he think that, you know, the contract was not great last year, but like none of it matters right now. Like if we keep making this deep playoff run, like I will pay him whatever he wants. Like, if this anyone on this if this team manages to bring a trophy home like they can all have whatever the hell they want i do not care because that's all i want the final thing to wrap up i think from this game is sort of uh danny green unfortunately hurt his calf he strained his calf this is from harrison sanford who i don't know what he does but he is danny green's podcast co-host he said, Danny Green has a grade two right calf strain. Best case scenario for return would be two weeks. Could, could extend to five weeks. There's a chance that he skips game four in Atlanta. I believe the Sixers have already sent Danny back to Philadelphia to get treatment. DJ is optimistic he can make a return at some point as long as the Sixers hold ground. He was relieved that it wasn't an Achilles injury, which is what I was worried about too, uh, which means regardless of how the Sixers playoff run turns out, he'll be ready to go next year. Um, 
Danny Green tweeted, I'm cool. Be back in no time to the real ones. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and uh, I will say after the game, Doc said, I'm not ruling Danny out, but I'm pretty much ruling him out. Okay. Uh, I doubt it if he plays the next game and obviously he won't. So he's going to be out for a few weeks. Um, Doc, well-known knower of his players' injuries. Always, always <laughs> going on with the injuries. Spot on. Always on the, on the ball, Doc. Yep, yep. Game starts in two minutes. Is Joel playing? He's like, who? Great. Looking forward to it. Um, in his stead, Furkan Korkmaz had another great game. Uh, he played really well. He had 14 points off the bench. He played 27 minutes. Uh, he shot four of nine from the field, three of six from three. He, I don't know if I said plus 24, he was, he had two steals. He quote, was quoted after the game describing how and why the series changed in the last couple of games. He said, game one is like a fish coming out of the water. Sometimes you don't know what it's going to be. And that's, I think we've said that for years. Do you guys um, have Furcon nicknames? Do you like call him anything when he plays well, or is that just me? Mm, I don't think I do. Do you? I don't have any good ones. No. No. I didn't say I have any good ones. I just said that <laughs> that when he is like shooting well, I tend to refer to him as Furk Daddy a lot. And I didn't I, know I if anyone that. else had it does that. Or is it just it's just me. That's cool. I don't know that I've said it out loud, but I've definitely thought it. Furk Daddy. It makes sense. It, it flows off the tongue really well, I think, personally. I, I think I'll think that going forward. So that's yeah, fantastic. Like I, I yell like game five, like I, if he's making threes, like I will be screaming Ferk Daddy. So I'll yeah. hey, I'll scream it with you. Maybe we get a Ferk Daddy chant though. That would be fun. Wow. All right. I think that sounds great. Um, <laughs> Doc was quoted today. Uh, he, he really will not say who is going to replace Danny in the starting lineup. You know, somebody, one of the reporters asked him what he's looking for in a replacement. Doc said, what I'm looking for is a 76er. Joke's on Doc. Nobody calls them the 76ers. Um, let's Didn't talk he about... say, though, he was like, I'm pretty sure who I, it's going to be, but I'm not going to tell you. Yes. It's like after the final rose. Like, we don't know who's going to get the rose, and we're going to wait and see. Um, <laughs> Doc, uh, you know, so let's talk about Danny Green. How big of a stand? Do not. How big of a um, loss we think it is. Uh, he doesn't seem all that essential in this particular series because it looks like what they need from him and, and you know, they'll, they can patch together that. But going forward, just overall, who do you think should replace him in the starting lineup? I think the main contenders are Matisse Thibel, uh, Furkan Korkmaz, Furk Daddy, if you will. Uh, and George Hill, I think, has some uh, – even I think Harrison Sanford even – in that string of tweets was like, what about George Hill? It's like, all right, don't really, just the injury update would be great. Um, Emily, what do you think about losing Danny for a few weeks here? And who would you like to see replace him in the starting line? Um, yeah, it's hard. I'm going to go with Furcon. I think we had talked about we had, I had talked about liking Matisse in the starting lineup and like thinking that would be a fun change. But now that like Ben has handled Trey Young so well, and I don't feel like we need both Ben and Matisse on him at the same time, that doesn't seem as helpful. So I think it would be good to get someone who is, I think we should just like play the hot hand. Like if 
if George Hill is like making a bunch of threes in, in warmups and like, maybe we go with him. And if it's Furcon, maybe we go with him. I don't, is there a huge difference in their skill sets? If one is hot versus the other? Yeah. <clears throat> um, Dan, what about you? Who would you uh, like to start in game four? Yeah. I mean, I would, I would probably start Matisse. Um, I agree that in the sense that like, Trey Young is not so good that you're doubling him or anything like that. You know, certainly not sending your two best defenders at him at the same time. Uh, but I do, I do think that, you know, if, as long as it doesn't get too clunky out there, which I, I, I don't really think it will, I would like to have his defense on the floor. Um, and offensively, you know, I kind of mentioned this earlier. I don't know if that was after, I think it was after game one, but basically like, you know, Danny's a much better shooter but he's still the kind of player who is not really going to dribble and that Trey young can kind of just stand on and they can hide him over there a little bit. Um, Matisse isn't going to make the threes, but Danny's been off from three anyway. And, you know, if, if you can get that level of defense and, you know, you're going to be hiding Trey young on someone anyway. And, and Trey, I don't think Trey actually in this series has been that bad defensively. Um, like certainly he's not like a plus defender or anything, but I don't think he's been, been a, a disaster by any means. And so, you know, you could put George Hill out there and get a little more offense and, you know, uh, certainly more well-rounded player than Matisse, but I would like to put Matisse out there and, and create some hopefully off ball havoc and make things hard on Trey, maybe not on ball, you know, if you have been on Trey, but, but Matisse taking away some, some passing lanes or, or sticking close to one of their good shooters. I think that it's just in this series, it's is well cut out from Matisse. Um, going forward now, obviously Brooklyn and, and Milwaukee are I'm obviously assuming the Sixers win the series. Um, knock on wood. I really think it'll happen. I'm sorry if it doesn't, but I'm pretty sure it will anyway. Um, I'm not trying to jinx anything here. Um, Brooklyn and Milwaukee is kind of in a weird spot where it's like Brooklyn is clearly the better team, but now their first and third best players are hurt. Um, and it's like, what do you, what, what, what do we even expect from there? And it's, it's basically dependent on health for who the Sixers are going to play. Um, and obviously then, you know, maybe Matisse isn't the right guy in, in, against one of those teams, but, but for now, um, and I don't think Danny Green certainly will be back by either of those series either, at least not for the start of them, even not best the case scenario. Yeah. Um, and for now, you know, the team we're playing is the Hawks, the team we have to beat just twice more is the Hawks. Um, I think Matisse is the guy who I would go with. I think he's the best suited. Chris, what about you? Yeah, I, I kind of agree with Emily that they'll probably just end up writing the hot hand. Um, you know, Ferk had a really good game three, so he would probably qualify as the hot hand right now. I, I feel like Doc kind of likes Thibel in the bench when Joe and Ben are both playing. Um, you know, he did foul out in 16 minutes, so you still have to take into account foul trouble with him sometimes the offense obviously is a little bit wonky every now and then so maybe you go with Furkan because he's a consistent shooter he's been playing better defensively in the starting lineup is, is pretty well equipped to kind of uh, hide him on the defensive end so I, I think he'll probably end up being Furkan I, I, I like the idea of George Hill a lot he hasn't been at his best yet with Philly I think he's still kind of getting used to this this team um, but I, I do like George Hill. I think offensively and defensively, especially if this does end up getting to Brooklyn, 
um, maybe Hill would be ideal in that specific matchup. But I, I think there's a pretty strong case for all three. But yeah. Yeah, I think um, I think that I would go with Furkan just because the the rate at which Danny shoots threes is very important. I think in lineups with Ben and Joe, um, I you know if you think ahead to even a semi healthy Brooklyn team, I don't know that you can start Furkan and Seth at the same time because they're really good at hunting mismatches and and you know who knows. Uh, actually, Chris, I'd like to ask you like from a Hawks perspective. How do you think they counter here going into game four? Do you think a, a change in the starting lineup with Solomon Hill, you know, making way for somebody else? Um, do you think there's any other, you know, tactic they'll go about with guarding Joel? What do you expect from Atlanta's angle going into game four? Yeah, I mean, I'm not really sure what more they can do against Joel. They, they kind of threw the everything in the kitchen sink at him in game three and it didn't do much. Um, I mean, only 27 points, but a very efficient 27 with eight assists. As we mentioned earlier, um, I, I think their best five obviously involves Kevin Herter at the three instead of Solomon Hill. So maybe that's a change that they make, but Herter's been playing way more minutes anyways. I, I think there's some benefit to kind of keeping him and Gallinari with that second unit group so they can go longer stretches without multiple starters on the floor. Um, I think that's been one of Atlanta's bigger advantages, though maybe not so much the last couple games, is that their bench can score a lot of points when Gallo and Herter are on the floor out there, especially with Lou Will. Like, they have some offense off the bench in ways that most teams don't. But I'm not really sure where they go from here. I think Philly, when they execute, is pretty clearly the better team. Obviously, Atlanta has been on pretty much a tear ever since they fired Lloyd Pierce. I, I don't want to undersell what they've been able to accomplish, but uh, Phillies seems to have them figured out defensively for the most part. Their offense just, you know, cut Atlanta's defense to death the other night. So I, I'm really not sure what they can do. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, let's look around to the rest of the league. Uh, any thoughts on others, on the other series that are happening right now? Um, the game that Dan referenced before, Milwaukee and Brooklyn. Milwaukee beat Brooklyn. Kyrie Irving uh, went out after, I think, 15 minutes or so with what looks like a pretty brutal ankle injury. Uh, James Harden uh, is coming back from a hamstring injury. A lot of people are saying he's going to be back in the next game. I would be careful with that. Like, I don't know that they can win with only KD out there, but hamstrings are really tough. I, you know, uh, I thought this series was over at full strength. I thought that Brooklyn was just sort of going to blow the doors off them and they probably would have anyway, but now it's 2-2. From a Sixers perspective, I'm happy that it's going longer. You know, I'd rather the series go longer and uh, the Sixers, you know, get some rest. Um, yeah, other than that, you know, Phoenix might sweep, uh, you know, Denver and then the Jazz and the Clippers. That's now 2-1. Dan, what do you got on the series around the league? Yeah, I mean, 
it's at least in the East, right? Like, I don't even know who to prefer at this point. I think, again, like it depends on health. Like if you tell me that Kyrie and Harden will be back by the Eastern Conference Finals, but maybe they don't play in in the Bucs series again, I'm obviously rooting for the Bucs, right? Like I, I don't, I think Brooklyn is a lot, a lot, a lot better as a team. Um, but I don't really know what, what the actual case is, right? Like there's some speculation Harden might play. I think Steve Nash made some comments after the game that they're going to be cautious with Harden though. Um, the Irving injury, obviously, you know, didn't look good. And, and when will he be back? I have no clue. I don't think anyone knows right now, other than that x-rays were negative and, you know, obviously um, hopefully he's back as soon as possible for, you know, the sake of everyone just being healthy, which I think that, you know, any good NBA fan is always rooting for. Um, but, but it, I mean, injuries are a real thing. They're part of the game. And um, like, you know, the, the Raptors championship a couple of years ago counts no less that the Warriors were dealing with injuries. Um, and, and so I think that it's, it's a weird situation where, you know, you're rooting for guys to get back as quick as possible. Um, but but the Nets are a lot better than the Bucs. I think that's kind of obvious from games one and two when everyone is at, well, the Nets weren't even at full strength. They were missing, in my opinion, their best player. Um, the Bucs have been fine lately. I would still probably pick the Sixers and maybe seven in a series like that. Um, but we'll have to see. I think if Harden comes back, I like the Nets in that series, even if Irving is out for a few games. And if, if Harden can't play and Irving can't play, I would definitely like the Bucs. Um, so it's hard to say. I think the Suns, and we'll know by the time this pod comes out, which I think is tomorrow morning, I think the Suns will sweep. Mm-hmm. Um, the Clippers just cut it to two to one last night, two nights ago when this comes out. Um, they're kind of still my pick to come out of the West, which is weird. I think they're kind of like, the Suns are, in my opinion, pretty easily the coolest team left in the West. I Big think guy. the Suns are kind of awesome. Um the Jazz, obviously, doesn't need to be said. They're lame. Um, in my opinion, we won this game. Um, one of the lamest things I've ever heard. Um, the Clippers just have so much talent, though. I think that, you know, obviously, the I don't see the Nuggets coming back to win this series. Um, and I think, arguably, you could somewhat make the case for Donovan Mitchell, especially how he's been in the playoffs. But there's also a really good case that between the jazz and the Suns, the Clippers have the two best players in either of those series. Um, and so, you know, it's hard to pick against that kind of talent. They're down two one. They just got a big win. We're again, kind of same thing in that Dallas series. They started off horrible in game three while they were down two Oh, um, they were down two Oh, got off to an awful start and came back in one game three and against Dallas, that kind of turned things around. So um, I don't think it's, unlikely at all that that is the case against Utah, but the jazz are good. The jazz are a good team. They're a lot better than Dallas, like way, way, way better than Dallas. Yeah. Um, obviously they don't have a Luca, but just they're so, so deep. Um, and so we'll see what happens, but um, I think that's a lot less interesting, obviously than the series in the East. I fully expect the Sixers to beat the Hawks. Um, I'd like to actually hear what Chris has to say about how many games he thinks this ends up going um, in the Sixers Hawks series, but um, both the Bucs and the Sixers would, or the, both, both the Bucs and the Nets would be a good series with the Sixers. Um, I think at, at this point, I would be rooting for the Bucs. Um, 
even with injuries, just because I think, you know, guys are okay and will be healthy. Um, but I kind of expect it to be the Nets. I, I think that, that, you know, Harden will end up playing and, and Irving's injury will, will not prevent him from playing for too long. And um, I think the the Bucks are, are, you know, even if they miss one game, maybe better, but, but, more beatable from a Sixers perspective. Um, ultimately, I think though that the Nets win; they're the better team. But that's kind of what I got around the league. Uh, Chris, you can take that uh, and just let us know what you think. How many games this ends up being, and and who wins uh, between the Sixers and the Hawks, and then whatever else you have on the rest of the league. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I, assuming Joel continues to play, uh, I, I, before the series, I said Sixers and six because we were kind of unsure about. Embiid's availability at that point before the playoffs I had Sixers and five I think it probably ends up being five or six games it doesn't feel like a seven game series right now I think Atlanta kind of lost the wind in their sails in game three I, I could be wrong we'll see what happens um Monday night but I think five or six is probably the direction this is going and as far as the other series I I agree wholly with Dan like the uh, he, Brooklyn, a healthy Brooklyn is probably far better than Philadelphia. That's ideally you don't want to face them. Um, but the Bucks are in a weird place where like they're tied 2-2 with Brooklyn and I haven't been really impressed with them at all. I think they've been pretty underwhelming. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. We'll, uh, hopefully Kyrie and Harden can come back sooner than later. Obviously you want guys to be healthy, but I, I think Milwaukee winning that series would probably be to the Sixers benefit I I predicted Bucks in seven when we had um, you know the hypothetical conversation about Milwaukee and Philly before the playoffs uh, the Bucks just haven't looked as good as I thought they would so I'm kind of wavering there I think Joel is pretty clearly the best player in that series now whereas maybe earlier in the season I wasn't quite so sure so I, I think Bucks if they can pull this out and you know pull the upset that would pretty clearly benefit Philly as long as they move on from Atlanta. But yeah, I mean, in the West, I, I, I hope the Suns win. I, I really want good things to happen for Chris Paul. Um, it, it's high past time that he makes it to the finals. Um, but I too, I, I picked the Clippers before, you know, the playoffs, if they can get Utah back to 2-2, if they can turn the tide on this series like they did with Dallas. I'd be kind of hard pressed to bet against them. You know, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are really good players. Um, Utah, as you said, is much better than Dallas. They're much deeper. Um, you know, the Mavs are basically Luca and, and um, a dumpster fire. So, you know, LA hasn't really impressed, but they still have a, a pretty great roster on paper. I, I think there's a real chance they still come out of the West, like Dan said, but. We'll have to see what happens. Um, uh, hopefully it's Sun Sixers. That's been kind of my ideal from the start. I would really enjoy that series and that matchup, but um, I'll, I'll be interested to see how things things go from here. Emily, uh, thoughts on the series happening around the league? Um, I want the Suns to win. Like you all said, I think they're a fun team. They kind of remind me of like, like their vibes, like remind me of the Sixers vibes. They're yeah. fun. They're young. They like joke around with each other. You know, Booker pulls up in that car. Like you don't like Rudy Gobert isn't pulling up in like a, like an old whatever kind of car that is Cutlass Supreme. Like he sucks. Mm -hmm. So like like the Suns. 
Um, also, like, I just like the idea that Jokic goes out kind of early. That's fun for me. Um, <laughs> I'm happy that the Clippers won a game, although I wouldn't, I don't know that I'll pick them in the series. I kind of think they're a fraudy team. Like, I wouldn't pick them to go to the finals. Um, but it means that Wednesday's game's at 7.30 instead of 8.30, which is good for my old lady body and sleep schedule. Um, this is all about me, really. All of my thoughts are about me in sure. response to basketball. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the the Bucks net series, I'm glad it's tied up now. Like, the longer these teams play, the better for us. Um, because knock on wood, we'll be seeing one of these teams in the Eastern Conference Finals. I have a dollar on the bucks, so I stand to win very big money if they pull this out. So I'm going to root for them. I also think we have a better shot at beating them, although I'm a shameless homer and think we can beat either of these teams. So those are my thoughts. Final item from around league stuff. I don't know what this article is from. Apologies. I think it's a San Francisco Chronicle article. Love it. Based on my research. Chronicle then. Um, uh, This is an article about Steph Curry. Uh, He is quoted as saying, I'm a pseudo Sixer fan now. Uh, Steph said, predicting a Philadelphia-Utah finals. I mean, holy shit. The takes in a Philadelphia Jazz finals would be amazing. I would really enjoy that. Uh, With Philadelphia winning the finals and with Seth Curry being named finals MVP. Uh, Steph said, we're going storybook uh, with a laugh. Uh, any official comment from any of you, Chris? Uh, are, you, are you keeping an eye on things with Golden State and Steph Curry, especially now that he's a fan of the Sixers? Um, I mean, not, not really. You know, I, I mean, obviously, he's probably more of a, a Seth fan than a Sixers fan, truth be told. I don't, he, yeah. he's not going to leave Golden State. But it, it's fun to dream. It would obviously be pretty wild to see him and Joel on the floor together. I don't think you can really think up a better player to pair with Joel on paper. So yeah, it's a fun thought. I don't know if I would put much money into, you know, on it, but, um, but on like the jazz Sixers point, I, I, I think the worst possible timeline here is jazz bucks. Cause I, I just don't want to watch that. Um, no. but yeah, no, 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 please. No. no. Um, I'm, you know, great players. I'm sure it'll be fine basketball, but I don't want to watch it. Um, yeah, that would be bad. Yeah. Um, Emily, official comment on Steph, uh, like us, being a fan of the Sixers. I'm just going to say join them mm-hmm. in that we and should. And that's not. I'm just mean, that mean we should join Steph in being Sixers fans and rooting for Seth to win finals MVP. That's what I mean. A big join him from, from yeah. I think, the podcast. Dan, anything you want to add? I mean, first of all, I think we should find Emily for that. I mean, that's just unac- unacceptable. <laughs> that's away. that's clear tampering. She, she can't say that. Yeah, that dollar on the box is, is going toward the NBA now. Um, I, like Chris said, I mean, I don't think it's likely at all, but it's also the perfect pairing. And, you know, while a normal person – would probably not think about it much because it's not very likely. And I think he'll retire a warrior. I'm going to think about it every day for the entire off season. And admittedly, probably some days during the playoffs and I'll kind of feel bad about it. Um, But I'm going to do it because it would be awesome if it happened. And I like to hope. So I think that'd be a lot of fun. 
And by him saying that he's a pseudo Sixers fan, I'm personally hearing I will play for the Sixers next year. Yep. Um, and that's basically it. That's what I'm hearing out of the situation. Great. Um, Chris, my final question for you is, are you a fan of The Bachelorette? I've never watched it. Well, <laughs> in that case, you are released uh, because that's the last thing we're going to talk about. And I uh, will not force you to sit through that. Um, so, Chris Klein, uh, the Sixer Sense, they can read your stuff. You, you host the Sixer Sense pod. Um, anything else that you want us to get there, get out there about you, where, where people can follow you, any, whatever you want? Um, yeah, I mean, everyone can follow me on Twitter at MBA. Go read the site. We have a lot of great writers putting in great work there every day. Um, I, I really appreciate y'all having me on. So thank you. Thanks so much for doing this, man. You were great. I really appreciate it. And I, I just want to say, um, so I started writing at the Sixer Sense, um, and Chris is awesome. Uh, but that's kind of a side note to what I'm about to say, which is that when I was writing there, I told my dad, they have an app. So there's a, the Sixer Sense app, right? And when they write a new story, anyone at the site, you get a notification on this app. And um, I haven't written there in a couple of years, but Liberty Ballers doesn't have an app. And my dad really likes Chris's writing. So he keeps using the app and gets a notification anytime the site, you know, uh, posts anything, even though I don't write there anymore, um, just because he likes the Sixers. And sometimes he'll say to me, did you see what Chris wrote? It was really good. And I just think that that's very cute. I love that. I think that's well, great. Chris, thank well, you so much for, uh, for being with us, man. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks, uh, Dan, to your dad. Tell him I, I appreciate it. <laughs> I will. Thanks, Chris. All right. Yeah. Finally, finally, The Bachelorette gang. Uh, it, it, it premiered last week. Um, how do we feel? Give me some overall thoughts on the episode, overall thoughts on Katie, uh, and overall thoughts on, I, I have to say, the young Jew who won the first best impression prize, whatever it is. Young Gregory, hello. Love it. Um, Emily, what, what do you have to say about uh, all of that? Um, I really like Katie. We were all big Katie fans. Uh, during Matt's season I think that she's not really in the the group of gals that all hang out together in New York City I don't know if she was like super liked among the other women but I think that's because she kind of didn't put up with their bullshit she's a little bit older than them which is why we all liked her um the no bullshit part not the older part I don't care how old these people are um so yeah I think the one guy really looks like Giannis which is cool I like him a lot. Andrew S., the the Vienna football player. He, he's like my pick to win. Yeah. I think he goes far. I think Greg, aforementioned Greg, goes far. Um, Katie seems to like, like, kind of weirdos. Like, she's really into that cat guy, which he took the cat thing way too far for me. Like, the, like, paws were creepy. Um, but he seems fine enough. So I'm they were making out and his paws were on her face and it was just a real and then she got his cat makeup all over her face. It was yeah. weird. Um, but yeah. I'm excited to see how it turns out. It's our our first 
of many non Chris Harrison seasons as Chris Harrison is officially out. So I think they're going to be playing. Not that, I mean, this season I think is fully hosted by Tasha and Caitlin, which it was fun to see them. I like both of them a lot, but we'll see how it goes. They're trying out uh, like multiple hosts for paradise. They announced um, little, little John and David Spade and Lance Bass, some like, so they're rotating hosts for a paradise. I guess they're trying stuff out um, and we'll see how it goes. But I hope Katie finds love and there's a lot of real dumb drama. So that's what I live for. Yeah. Um, Dan, what about you? What were your big takeaways from episode oh, I still one? haven't watched the premiere actually. Oh my been... gosh, Dan. No, I'm whoa, sorry. Listen, whoa, whoa, listen, Dan. I've been weirdly busy this week um, considering I do nothing all the time. I've, I've, <laughs> I've kind of weirdly been like, had a lot going on. Um, but I'm planning on watching it tomorrow before the next episode tomorrow. Um, Emily's thoughts have definitely sold me further on it. I'm very excited to see whatever the hell this cat thing is. Um, I also heard talking to some friends who did watch it, um, because they're, you know, I guess better at watching things. And I honestly had plenty of time and I'm just like half busy and also half like cannot commit to watch a two hour thing unless I have like seven hours. Um, but I hear that, you know, at the start of the rose ceremony and at the end of it, it's like a different person talking um, between Tasha and who's the other person? Caitlin. Caitlin. And oh, then I they're like that. constantly switching places depending on who's talking. Like, and it's, I'm really interested to keep an eye on that. Um, uh, but I'm excited for it, but I haven't watched. So I don't have a lot of good thoughts. Okay. The one last thing I want to talk to, I guess, Emily about. Dan, I guess you can here. leave now, too. because. All right, see you guys. <laughs> Have a good night. All right. um, is, is the scene that is isolated, there's nothing the before it that explains it. There's nothing after it. Right. There's a tall gentleman talking to the guy who sells zippers. And the guy, they enter the scene like this, and the tall guy is, like, pointing at him, and he's saying, listen to me, I don't like you. I've never liked you and I won't ever like you or something like that. And the zipper guy goes, all right, that's your opinion. And the tall guy goes, I don't care if it's my opinion. I don't like you, stay away from me. Zipper guy goes, just cause it's your opinion doesn't mean it's right. They walk off, they don't explain it. They never talk about it at all after they go right to another scene of like Katie and the cat guy. I have no idea what happened. I, I was delighted by it. I thought we had fallen asleep and this part like, the whole like lead up to it. Emily, were you as confused as I was? Yeah, I was like, and me and Jordy were watching and we were just like, they he's known this man for like 45 minutes. I've never <laughs> liked you. I will never like you. I was just very adamant and they have drink rules. So like he couldn't, like I know night one is very long. Normally when they leave, it's the morning, but like they have drink rules. They're not allowed to get super hammered anymore. So he couldn't have been that drunk to to be like I don't know but it was very Dan you'll notice immediately when this happens <laughs> it's it comes out of left field and it's just very funny um yeah so that was yeah. great we're all gonna have to be doing multi-screens because the Sixers play at 7 30 Monday night Bachelorette at eight o'clock god bless uh, the DVR you know god bless America I um, have one more thing that's like Please. It's like a weird thing because we were doing like stupid bachelorette and then this is a kind of like serious thing. Um, okay. But I just want to commend 
Dan's best friend, Tobias Harris, for being named a finalist for the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Social Justice Champion Award. Um, I think he's one of five finalists. Carmelo's one. I would assume Jalen Brown is one, yeah. but I don't know for sure. Yeah. Um, and Tobias just like released a statement. I won't read the whole thing, but just about he lives in Philadelphia. He wants to make an impact on the education system in Philadelphia. And it's been a focal point for him. And he's just honored to be a finalist. And I'm honored to have him play for our team. So I just wanted to shout him out. For that. Big time agree. Thank you for including that. I should have uh, put that in there. Um, and Joel for the uh, Joel was a finalist as well for um, I forget the name of the award. It's a community award, though, as well. Yeah. Yeah. The Sixers for like NBA Community Cares, I think he's like the Sixers rep. Um, so a lot of CR guys are like they're fun and they're great. great. And I would just hate to not be a Sixers fan. It must suck. I agree. Um, all right. Game four, Monday night. Game five, famously, Gastro Blues at the Sixers. If you're there, feel free to say hello. Um, we... Oh, DM us, and we'll tell you where we're sitting. You come say hi. Yes. We'll let you know. Follow us um, on Twitter. Yeah. It'll be really fun. I'm really looking forward to it. I am um, hoping that we all get along in person half as well as we get along through Zoom and phone calls and letters. Um, it's just a, just a real pleasure to see you both. Um, looking forward to Wednesday. Really hoping Sixers win Monday so that we can clinch uh, the series on Wednesday. That would be especially fun. Looking forward to meeting Jordy. Hope he doesn't hate us. Hard to know he what's will. gonna happen. Yep. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll find out. Um, good to see you guys. Have a great night. Um, go Sixers, get this uh, game four win. I don't know when we'll be able to do a uh, locker room. We'll see. I don't know. Um, that's Great. it. Good seeing you guys. Wait, Bye. one more quick thing, quick thing. Uh, I forgot to say this earlier. One of my favorite things of the playoffs so far has been the Giannis 10-second violations at the foul line. He had oh, another one the okay. other night. They're so funny. So funny. Did so you funny. see that the opposing teams, like, started to put a countdown clock on the, like, Jumbotron, <laughs> and then the NBA told them they're not allowed to do that, which is just, like, a fun sucking thing. Right. Like, know, let them it do it. It's like it's the not- NFL saying you can't dunk on the goalposts anymore. Or if right. it's like, hey, you ha- you can't hold up Frosties. Like, you got to put your Frosty cutouts down. If they do that, yeah. there'll be a riot in Philadelphia. So don't do that. Dwight but even after, they stopped the, even after they stopped the timer, he had another one. I know. <laughs> like, what is he? He's so in his head. It's wild. It's I can't believe it. to take that long to shoot a free throw. Yeah. I, I read something else that, like, someone else dribbles, like, three times more than he does in their warm-up, but, like, takes, like, four seconds less. Like, they're just, like, wow. slow, methodical. And then he airballs free throws. It's hilarious. I would love statistics of the people who take the longest to shoot free throws and, like, how much – is it the people who take longer are worse at them, in, like, in Giannis's be. case? Or is it the people that – I don't know. Joel holds the ball out to the side. I like to think that when he's doing that, it's like a, like, that's like where his son is standing, like maybe in his head. I've made that up in my head, but I'm wondering why he holds the ball out to his wow, side. That's <laughs> deep. Thank you. Thank you. Do you remember when Andre Yadala made those uh, two free throws and said that uh, Tony Batie told him to, in his head, be teaching his son how to shoot free throws? And he said, that's how he was teaching like in his head when he had to make those two free throws he was teaching his son uh next round couldn't make any free throws what happened to the son teaching bit like are we done is the son he's an expert yeah he already knew i guess so um 
Goodbye. Good times. See ya. Bye. Oh, yeah, baby, I love